Good to see you all back this afternoon. Excited to see all your faces, see people here that are uh, concerned with spiritual things and that are about God and about His Word and about the things that He would have us to look at. What we're going to be talking about tonight, we're going to be talking about evangelism in just a moment. You can already be opening up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9 and verse 37 through 38. We're going to be talking and studying from there in just a moment. Uh, again, just so encouraged for all of you to be here, to engage in this period of worship, and specifically in this por- portion of the worship, we're going to be looking into the Word of God to discern some truths from it and to be encouraged and stirred up to good works. And so, if you'd be opening up your Bibles and be studying along, that would be appreciated and it would be to your benefit. Um, if I'm saying anything that differs from the truth or may not be spiritually nutritious or not be said in a way that you would think could be said better, then I'll be available in the foyer after this lesson to discuss those things and to break those down with you in whatever way that we can. Um, I am uh, a pretty green preacher. I'm learning still a lot, and I would appreciate everyone's comments and encouragements. Um, before we get into the meat of the lesson, though, um, as I typically do and as is custom with me, most of you guys can probably expect this and see this coming by this point, But I would like to share a personal anecdote and story from my life that I think deeply applies to the subject, and I hope that you'll be able to apply and understand, and then finally we can apply to the Word so that we can exposit it deeper and understand it based on our own experience. And this this personal anecdote holds a very special part in my heart. Um, Many of you who follow me on Facebook have seen this story already, but I I can tell it again and again and never get tired of it, and I hope that that you won't either. Around 9 p.m. last Wednesday, I received a text message from my very best friend from high school. Um, He had told me that his mother had fallen ill and she's been diagnosed with cancer. It was a grim, grim diagnosis and had spread all over her body. Terrible. So what did I do? I told him I was on my way. I, I, I geared up everything and I headed toward the hospital. I came to, as the Bible says, weep with those who are weeping and to go to the house of mourning and to... To, to talk with my dear friends and, and my family friends and, and to see, see Ruby, that's her name, Ruby, and, and, and to encourage her and to try to be a, be a minister to her. And when I got there, what I saw was I saw grim faces, I saw sadness, I saw hopelessness, and I saw pain. And I saw Ruby there and she was suffering so much. And I knew that I needed to say something and that there was, there, there was just something that I needed to say and I just couldn't formulate it. And, and I knew that I needed to talk from the Word of God and to... To, to say, there's still hope. But I just had this lump in my throat and this burning in my chest and this uncomfortable feeling in my guts and I just, I was just nervous. And it took a lot. It took a lot of me digging in my mind to, to finally work up the courage to say something. But I'll tell you how I did it. I asked myself a big question. I opened my mouth because I said to myself, how valuable right now is this woman's soul to me. How important is it that I open my mouth and that I say something right now because I know that I might not have another opportunity after this night? How valuable is her soul? How valuable is the soul of a lost sinner? And I sat there and I wrestled with it. And I decided that it's worth more than all the money I could ever hope to make in my entire life, no matter what I do. Even if I blow up and finally make it into the UFC just like I dream. Even if... Even if you know, I hit the lottery or the jackpot. I would never have enough money to, to, to pay for a soul. I'd never have enough money for that. I'd never have enough good accomplishments to equal the value of a soul. And, and certainly, a soul's worth much more than the feeling of dread and of anxiety that I had from 
from having to speak up and to say something in this situation. Now, the added to this, I, ha- I kept in mind, I know, I might hear some detracting words because her family is not religious whatsoever. Timothy, is, he, he's my very dear friend, but he's very atheistic. And I was afraid, but I still thought her, her soul is much more valuable than my fear. And so I spoke up and I asked one simple question. I said, Ruby, do you believe in God? And she was sick and she was hurt. But she knew the, the question I was asking. She sat there and I could tell that she really honestly thought about it because she knew the weight of it. She wasn't going to respond in just a rote manner because her parents told her what to say. No, no. It wasn't going to be habit. It wasn't going to be automatic. She thought in her head and she thought... I, I want to say there was a 30-second pause before she finally said, Yes, I do. And I said, Do you believe that Jesus is who he said he was? And she said, Yes, I do. And after that, I knew that I could, I knew that I could get in and I knew that I could work with her. And I spent three days by her bedside sitting there and ministering to her and talking with her. And just in between, literally in between morphine dumps, while, just while I could talk to her while she was sober. And she, she started to put things together. And at the end of all this, she was baptized into Christ. And that is amazing. She still sits in the hospital now. The things that led up to that, and the thoughts that, that now are in my mind, though, I, I want to emphasize this. I'm not telling you this story for my own personal glory so I can pat myself on the back. I'm telling you that, number one, a soul's worth far more than what you would, what you would think in the moment when you're paralyzed by fear. It's worth far more than your fear. And secondly, that you shouldn't wait until someone is lying there dying in front of you before you say something to them about Jesus. And so that's, that's why we're going to be discussing this concept of evangelism tonight. I think it's something that we could all ratchet up and all increase and try to destroy our fear with evangelism to the best of our ability. Jesus knew that it was very important. Jesus knew that it was, it was integral, and he got that across in many of his teachings. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 37 through 38, where we opened up our Bibles hopefully before, Matthew chapter 9 and verse 37 through 38, Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, labor, labor is going to mean hard work. And we need to get that through our heads. When he says laborers, he means he needs workers. It's, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be convenient, as Luke preached this morning. But there are people out there in the world that are sin sick and that are all dying and they don't even know. And we have to be the ones to show them the truth and the light. We have to be the ones to show them the way. The metaphor that Jesus uses here in this passage is that the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. There's a lot here that can be reaped. There's a lot that can be gained from this. There's much more than we could fathom of worth of Tons of souls that need salvation that could be saved if we would act, if we would work. But we have to work. And I know that the me- th- this metaphor of a, a, a wide open field of harvest, for a lot of us, it doesn't seem appealing. It, d- it doesn't seem appealing to have to go out to work all day in the field and, and reap and, and, and tarry and, and just collect. It doesn't seem like a good, pleasant afternoon like we would like to sit out on our porch sipping lemonade or playing video games or scrolling on Facebook or calling our friends or out golfing or whatever you like to do. It doesn't seem seem appealing. But we have to change our minds and renew our minds to understand that this is the greatest opportunity that we have is to share the gospel with someone. That's what we're called to do. And that's the bottom line of it. Inwardly, we know what we have to do. 
we've been edified so much just already today and again and again and again that we have to we have to develop those Christian traits of, of being gentle and kind and loving and sacrificial and, and showing that and giving reverence to God. But outwardly, we have duty as well. We have service to others. We have a lot of service to others to do, and that's physical, and that's emotional, but most importantly, that's spiritual. That means evangelism. There's no getting around it. If we can't, if, if the person hasn't obeyed the gospel, we can't do any kind of edifying. We can't build them up. They're, they're, they're lost. We have to get them there, and that is something that we need to do, that we have to build. And so, Jesus wants us to pray for laborers. But I think when he asks us to pray for that, he wants us to do really active thinking about our prayer, as Jesus does with any prayer that we pray. He wants us to pray knowing what we're praying for. When we pray for laborers, we realize that the people we're praying for to step up, we're included in that. We're included in that worksmanship. And it's our job to be the laborers and to, to honestly help God fulfill our own prayers and step up and, and act because that's the only way that those prayers are going to be fulfilled, that we're praying to God, that we want laborers. Well, where are the laborers? Right here. So it's up to us to stand up and to do those things. You know, there's easy, there's easy ways and there's easy outs to say, okay, I've done my evangelism. I, I, I've done that. And some of these methods, I'm, I'm not disparaging them. I'm not saying to stop doing them. But I'm saying that this, that this is, is not the best way of evangelism. These things are easy and they're convenient, but they're not the best. You, I see all the time, and, and you guys are good for this. And again, I want to emphasize, it's good to do this. But you'll share these Christian memes or these things from the Facebook page. And that's awesome. I do it too all the time. I, I, I post statuses and things like that to try to get people thinking about God. But that's easy. You know, you can, you can hand out tracts and pamphlets and invitations to things. And that's, that's good. That's good. But it's just easy. You know, you, you, could, you, can, you sit back and you wait for somebody else to bring up God or church or spiritual things. And then, and then you jump in. Oh, well, yeah, I actually go here and do this. And this is what I believe. But you're kind of waiting, laying back, kind of passive. And that's pretty easy, too. So you, don't have to, you don't have to put yourself out there. You know, we, we invite people to church. They say, hey, you come to church with me sometime. That's, that's, that's easy. It's good, but it's easy. And so those are, all, those are all things that we can do that are evangelistic, that are good, but maybe aren't the best paradigm. You know, when you look at, at professional athletes, you look at like a basketball player. If I'm a young high school basketball, college basketball player, I'm looking at those guys that are in the NBA and I'm examining their plays and I'm trying to figure out how they move, what they do. Because I want to know what, what, how to, what makes them successful and I want to apply that to myself. I, I'm a mixed martial artist. When I watch the UFC, when I watch fights and things like that, I'm not just watching for entertainment. I'm watching to see the guy's strategy. I'm picking it apart and trying to see, whoa, what can I add that to my toolbox? Can I use this? And so what we do is we look at the greats of, of our trade. And we try to apply their strategies to our own work. And so with evangelism, that's, that's what we're going to do. We're going to find some, some steps to effective evangelism. And we're going to do that by looking at some of the greats of evangelism. We're going we're to look at a very specific example. But, but first, I have to ask, how the, how'd the greats do it? Well, Peter, how did he do it? He opened his mouth. And he preached to thousands on the day of Pentecost without fear. Stephen. Stephen the evangelist, he opened his mouth and he preached to a hostile horde of just voracious crowds that wanted to tear him apart and eat him alive. And they did so. They executed him then and there. What did Paul do? He traveled far and wide, enduring hardship, false brethren, persecution, shipwreck, 
Why? To open his mouth and to teach Jesus clearly. How did Jesus do it? The King James Version in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 2. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 2, I like how the King James Version adds, he, in the beginning, and he opened his mouth and taught them. Jesus opened his mouth. He taught the truth. It's plain and simple. That's the main pattern we see in the New Testament of evangelism. We don't see a lot of flashy advertisement. We don't see a lot of intricate marketing strategies. And we don't see a lot of the things the world do to push their products. We don't see that. We see plain and simple preaching and teaching. Direct conversations about God. That's what we see. Evangelism in the New Testament was done by people who desired opportunities to talk to people about God, who seeked, sought those things and followed through with them when they appeared and then tried to close and tried to get people to understand, to show people the way to the gospel. So what I'd like to do is I'd like if we could turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, be turning with me in your Bibles. Acts chapter 16 and starting in verse 9. We're going to be joining Paul, Silas, Luke, and Timothy, perhaps some others as well, on their evangelistic journey here. And we're going to be operating very heavily out of this passage during the lesson, so you can go ahead and bookmark it or just hold your place here as we kind of exposit some things from Acts chapter 16. So here in verse 9 we begin, A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Okay, so what do we have here? We have, a, we have a golden opportunity for evangelism. We see all the ingredients are there. You know it's not too complicated. We've got some men who are willing and eager to teach and to preach the word of God. All, we have Paul, Silas, Luke, Timothy, all ample, capable teachers of the word of God who understand the principles therein. We also have a group of people in the Macedonians that desire to know the will of God and that are seeking help and guidance. What kind of help and guidance? The kind that only God can provide. That is soul salvation through Jesus Christ. Verse 10 now. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Notice here the importance of this word, immediately. As soon as they realized there was a chance to win souls, what they do? They went. They didn't hesitate at all. There was no moment of, I'm going to let this stir. and sit. They went immediately. They went. And why? Because this was their life. They were Christians. They were living out real Christianity. That meant that they would prioritize the souls of the lost above all else. Why? Because that's exactly what Jesus did. Christ came not for the righteous, but to seek and save the lost. In the same way, that's where these men knew that what they were tasked to do. Their main job is an important job. And so they pounce on the opportunity to go out and to spread the word. So what does that say for us? That's going to tell us that we need to see and we need to appreciate opportunities for evangelism. We need to be looking out. It's not likely that we're going to be having like some Holy Spirit inspired encounter with, uh, let's say, our neighbor from down the street or something appearing in our bedroom in the middle of the night saying, I need you to come help me. I'm spiritually lost. Like, that's probably not going to occur. If it does occur, please let me know because I'd like to hear that story for, for sure. Um, but it probably isn't going to happen. So if that's the case, then we're going to need to be vigilant. 
We're going to need to pay attention when we see the signs of someone seeking and, and, and when we can enter and when we can have that conversation and be getting spiritual nuggets into people to teach them. Remember, Jesus said that the fields need to be harvested. So that means it's ripe. It's ready to go. There's people that want the gospel out there. And so it's our responsibility to now go out and to do that harvesting. And yes, it's going to be work. I can't emphasize this enough. It is going to be work. You're going to have to sit there maybe for days and talk with someone, maybe for months. You're going to have to study with them. It is going to be tense and it's going to be difficult, most likely. That's just the bare minimum. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the base of it. That's the truth. So the question is, do you... How much time are you willing to put into securing an earthly job, an earthly work? I'll tell you what you're willing to do. Pretty much everybody here. 13 plus years of school, minimum. Maybe some college. Job hunting, job hunting, job hunting. When you get in your job, upward mobility, upward mobility, hustling, hustling, trying to get up, climb the ranks again and again and again. And somewhere along the way, evangelism is just kind of like down here. So I feel like that's kind of backwards. Because what we should be doing is our job should be a tool for evangelism, right? Our job should show the character of Christ. The way we work should be as unto the Lord. We should be prioritizing God and giving every opportunity and every chance to be evangelistic. And so if we're willing to put this much effort into our job, how come evangelism stops at a Facebook share of a a Bible verse? Just some food for thought. We have to keep in mind every conversation and every relationship is a chance to win a soul. Every, every short conversation, every stranger you meet, every sm- small, small talk on the side of the street can be an evangelistic conversation. But can you say, Cain, evangelism isn't really my thing. I'm not really equipped for it. I don't really want to do it. I just don't like it. It's just not me. I'm not an evangelistic person. It might be what you're saying. Okay. Well, here's what I could say. Well, you, you could learn to love it. It's, it's actually a lot of fun sometimes. You meet interesting people. Uh, it's worth it in the end. It is. Okay, when you see someone finally baptized, when you have that peace and comfort of knowing you did what you need to do, and I could go on and on, but I feel like all that falls short of just the central question of the lesson, which is, what is the value of a soul to you? Is that worth it? Is it worth it to get over it? If, is a soul worth getting over yourself and saying, you know what, I might not currently feel like I'm an evangelistic person, but I'm going to become an evangelistic person. I'm going to change my paradigm of my mind and figure out a way to be more evangelistic. Is that possible? Is that something that we can do? I believe that it is, because the bottom line is, if you're following Christ, it's not optional. He demands that we transform and that we become like Him, and that means that we seek and save the lost. That's what we're here to do. We're here to help them be saved. And so if you don't identify as an evangelistic person, you, you can change that. You need to change that. If it's not your thing, make it your thing. There's only one way to do it. Turn with me in Acts chapter 16 if you're not there already and be looking in verse 11. Um, Paul, Timothy, Luke, and Silas, they knew and they understood that evangelism is something that you have to make part of your character. So let's, let's be here in Acts chapter 16 and verse 11. So setting to sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace. And the following day of Neapolis. And so the most important thing here in this verse, I think, is the, the word direct. They went directly there. They, they didn't take a bunch of stops and try to find ways to distract themselves and occupy themselves. They, they knew that there were souls that needed saving, so they made a beeline to the souls that needed saving. And that's what they did. They made a direct voyage. So now drop down to verse 12 and 13. 
12 and 13, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, we remained in this city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. From this verse, we noticed that the traveling evangelists, they remained in the city for some time. So that means that they didn't kind of hang out for like an hour and be like, well, God, we fulfilled our Macedonian call and we've been here for a whole hour, so we're just going to book it and leave. No, what they did was they remained there until they found the opportunity. They stayed there and they did not deter from their mission. And eventually an opportunity did present itself. And our brethren came upon a group of people there praying, worshiping God, a, a group of women, and they're gathered there in the place by the river. So none of this none of this would have happened if the brothers had just skipped town after a day. And none of this would have happened if they just stood there waiting for the women that were over there worshiping and praying God to come up and say something to them like, Hey, do you guys want to preach the gospel to us today? Nobody's going to do that to you. I'm here to tell you. You're waiting around for someone. I've noticed your extremely good Christian behavior. Like, can you please explain to me how to be saved? That's one in a million. That's probably not going to happen. What you have to do is you have to go, you have to sit down, and you have to speak to people. That is just the bottom line of it. I know it's uncomfortable, but you have to go, you have to open, and you have to initiate. You, that's what you have to do. You have to go. You have to take action. You just got to go. And that's the thing. In your mind, there's going to be a bunch of, I mean, it's the devil. It's the devil, I'm telling you guys already. But there's going to be a bunch of excuses pop up in your head and a bunch of just like, well, it might be kind of awkward. Well, it's going to be uncomfortable. I mean, you don't really know this person that well. It might be kind of weird to bring up spiritual stuff now. All that stuff's going to come in your head. But you just got to go. You just got to do it. You just got to go. Paul didn't know these people. They didn't know these people. They just sat down and said, you know what? I'm just going to start talking about God to these people. Come whatever may. It's not always great. It doesn't always turn out well. Sometimes they're in prison. Sometimes they're beaten. Sometimes good things occur, and we're going to find that later. I know it's awkward, and I know it's tense, but do you guys, look, nod with me if you do, little audience participation, but do you know the hymn, You Never Mentioned Him to Me? You guys heard, You Never, you never Mentioned Him to Me? Okay, it, it's one of the most convicting hymns I've ever sang in my entire life, and it reads like this. When in the better land before the bar we stand, how deeply grieved our souls will be. If any lost one there should cry in deep despair, you never mentioned him to me. You never mentioned him to me. You helped me not the way to see. You met me day by day and knew I was astray, yet never mentioned him to me. Oh, let us spread the word where'er it may be heard. Help groping souls the light to see that yonder none may say you showed me not the way. You never mentioned him to me. A few sweet words may guide a lost one to his side or turn sad eyes on Calvary. So work as days go by that yonder none may cry. You never mentioned him to me. Isn't that convicting? Isn't that chilling? For me, it's just one of the most convicting hymns that I've ever come across in my short time as a Christian. Why? I mean, first and foremost, because I think about how my life would be different if no one explained the gospel to me or sat down and mentioned it to me. I think about what I'd be doing. I'd probably be in jail or dead, to be honest with all of you. I think about where I, I mean, look, look at how, look at how blessed I've been. All of you have been so good to me. And I would have never known that if someone hadn't just took me aside and just explained the gospel to me. You think about that. You think about how you can change someone's life and about how many opportunities you've missed to do that. Because it was too awkward. Because it was uncomfortable. Because it was tense. Because you weren't sure if they had to go. 
going to tell you this right now. It's always worth it. And another reason, too, that this hymn is so convicting to me is because of James chapter 4 and verse 17, which reads like this. James chapter 4 and verse 17 reads like this. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. So for those of us that, that don't bring up spiritual conversations to folks because maybe we've been burned before, because we're afraid of failing, I just have to put it bluntly, you guys. The, the way that you fail at evangelism is that you just don't do it. That's how you fail at evangelism. As long as you try earnestly, you won't fail. But if you do, just sit there and rest and just wait and wait for them to come to you. You're failing. You're failing in that regard. And if I'm doing that, I'm failing in that regard. So that's the best way to completely fail at evangelism. So what are we going to have to do? Well, we're going to have to get over this hump. We're going to have to get over this awkward, I don't really want to talk to strangers, it's kind of weird, and, and, and learn, or, or even close friends. I don't want to bring it up to close friends or, or, or acquaintances or work buddies or whatever. I, I, don't, I, I, I need to learn how to better lead a spiritual discussion, and it leads someone to Christ. So how can you get over that initiation anxiety or that approach anxiety of, of bringing up these things? Well, what you need to do is you need to just ride that wave of tension. Man, there have been basically every challenging and fun thing that you've ever done in life has probably caused you some anxiety at some point, true or false. I mean, if, if, if you didn't go into it and get a little uncomfortable and there was no release of tension, it wasn't fun anyway. But this... This, this is very imperative. It's natural for you to be nervous, knowing of how important evangelism is. Knowing that, that you're basically influencing this person to obey the gospel or to not. I understand that there's tension there, but you have to just ride that wave and you have to embrace that and be comfortable in the tension. That's something you ought to learn to do. And that comes with practice only. You can't do a bunch of mental gymnastics and get there. It comes with practice only. You have to do it. So... We, we make excuses like, well, what if they're mean to me? What if they this? What if they that? What if they don't want to be my friend anymore? What, you know, what if they start talking bad about me to all of our friends in our social circle or something like that? Man, later on down in Acts chapter 16, we don't have to read this, but most of you all know that, that Paul and Silas were imprisoned and beaten for preaching the gospel. And they didn't use that as an excuse to stop later. They're, they're preaching all through the book of Acts later. I'll just get them later. So... So they're preaching all through the book of Acts. You know what I mean? Um, and that doesn't stop them. So the question is, what's our excuse? Where, where do we get off? The answer is, we don't. So you're saying, but Cain, it really is. It's just too tense. It's too awkward. I'm really anxious type person. Okay, how about this? Pretend the person is on fire. Pretend that you are the only person in a hundred mile radius with a fire extinguisher. And you've got to go up and put them out. Pretend that they're about to walk right off of a cliff or into traffic and you're the only person that can grab their hand and pull them off the street. Pretend that they're drowning and you're the only person with some water wings that you can chuck into the water to them. Pretend that. Because if at that point you cannot get to the place mentally where you can talk to them and initiate, then there's just something really wrong with your heart. Because you would watch a person sit there and burn to death. You would watch a person sit there and drown. And so I, I don't believe any of you would do that. So, so get in that mind state where you realize spiritually this person's going to die if, if you don't do anything. So we, we, have to, we have to do anything to get ourselves to a place where we can help people get to heaven. That's, that's just the bottom line. But we're going to help people get to heaven. Why? Because it's not fruitless. There, there are people who they want to hear the gospel. 
If you, if you need evidence of that, that there's still people out there that maybe didn't grow up in the church, that wasn't around the church, that maybe don't have any re- religious predisposition, well, I'm standing right here in front of you. I had no idea what the true New Testament church was growing up. I saw nothing but religious hypocrisy, darkness. I saw drugs, violence, sexual immorality. That's what I saw growing up. And I wanted the gospel very, very, very badly, and I didn't even know it until someone told me about it. So there are people out there who do. And there's another example right here in Acts chapter 16, dropping on down to verse 14 now. Dropping on down to verse 14. One of us who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatria, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So Lydia hears the good news, and she pays attention. The things of God, they interest her, and they wedge her heart open by way of his divine word, being wielded by Paul the apostle, and it cuts deep, and it pricks her heart. So then in verse 15, and after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So we see recorded here that as a result of Paul's efforts and his preaching and the working of God, that she was judged as faithful to the Lord and made righteous by her penitent faith. There are all kinds of Lydia's around, people that would be willing to obey the gospel if only someone would just open their mouth and go to them and say something. So what do we do? We find the Lydia's and then we follow through with them. The people that actually want to study the Word of God, that want to talk about it, that want to absorb it, and that are interested to know, we go and we find them. And then when we get one, we don't let them go and just give up. We keep pressing on. Because in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9, it says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. It's about follow through. Once you can start a spiritual discussion with someone, all you need to do is get your foot in the door. That's it. If they really want to know the truth and they're really and their heart's in the right place, you can get them there. I promise you can. As long as their heart stays good, you can get them there. It's not you. It's not you. It's the Word of God that's pressing on. The thing is, like, they're going to make excuses. They definitely are going to make excuses. They're going to have hang-ups and questions. But can you answer them? The, The Bible can answer them. The Bible can answer all of them. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, you know where I'm going with this. 16 through 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I don't think anyone in here is going to have a problem with me saying that evangelism is a really good work. It might be one of the... It, it, is, it is the best thing that we can do for someone else. Just flat, just flat out. It is. It's the best thing you can do for another person. You know, you can help me while I'm broke down on the side of the road. I appreciate that so much. You can help me move. You can give me food, give me water, whatever. I'll invite me into your home. All that is amazing. But if you don't tell me about Jesus, you're missing out. You're missing something. You could do something infinitely more valuable. So don't skip out on that. If you know the truth of God's word on salvation, nobody can refute that. Nobody can refute it. Why? Because it's God's word. It's perfectly logical. It's not going to be like, a, like an earthly debate or an argument you have with your significant other or your sibling where one person can win and the other person can lose. It's not like that. The Word of God always wins. It's not you versus them. It's just the Word of God. That's all there is. That's all you can present. And if you frame it that way in your mind, it suddenly becomes so much easier. You don't have fear of, of losing out or, or, or taking a loss or anything like that. 
just go to them and show them the word of God. People, like I said, they're going to try to make excuses. They're going to say things like, I'll think about it. I'm too nervous. They're going to say things like that. But the word will show them that the time for salvation is now. People are going to say things like, they're going to have hang-ups, and they're going to say things like, they're not really sure if there's a God. But the Bible will teach them all they need to know about the evidences of God's existence, that He is the creation that is put before us speaks to the Creator. People will have questions. Maybe they'll feel like they don't know enough about the Bible or about God to obey the gospel. And guess what? The Bible has the answers to it and can teach them. It's not us. It's not about us. The pressure is not on us. We have to go out and we have to do what God wants us to do. And that means using His Word, not our own. So we don't have to concoct some ridiculous, overly intricate philosophy. We just have everything that we need right here. And it's already given to us. So all we have to do is just put it out there. We can open up the Word and we can find that. If someone who earnestly wants to know the truth will sit down with you and study, keep studying. Don't stop. Don't get caught up. Keep going. Keep studying with them. Keep breaking it down. Don't give up on them. Now, as a caveat, I want to say with, with, with these efforts, you're not trying to just get people to the baptistry. That is a mistake that I've made, is just emphasizing baptism, baptism, baptism. It's not about that. You're trying to convert people to Christ. You're trying to, you're trying to aid in the process of conversion. You're trying to be a tool for God to help them be fully and truly converted. We have to help people to understand their need to repent and to be baptized. We need to be able to clearly communicate what happens in a baptism, that this is a changing of everything that you are, otherwise you're just getting wet. And we need to be able to emphasize the need to continue on in the faith unto death to receive the crown of glory. So what I'll say is, brother or sister... I ask you now, and I urge you to consider, have you been evangelistic in your life? Are you evangelistic in, in, in your current life today? Have you really made your best effort in this regard? Do you ha- if I ask you out in the foyer, and this is very sincere, if I ask you out in the foyer, who right now are you talking to about God? Who are you studying with? Who do you have in mind? Who are you talking to about God? Do you have someone that you can tell me? Is there someone that you can say, oh yeah, the other day me and so-and-so were talking about this, and, I, and I'm really trying right now to, to get them to obey the gospel? Can you do that? If not, can you say, okay, well, I'm not, I don't have anybody right now, but I have someone in mind, I'm trying to find an opportunity to do that. Could you tell me that? Could you tell me someone that you've had in your mind for a while that you're trying to be evangelistic with? If that's not the case, then now's the time to, to just discern that and to repent and to be be more evangelistic because that's like our, one of our main charges as Christians other than developing the traits of Christ within ourselves is to show that to the world and to go out to them. We can't drop the ball in that way. We have to go out and look for someone who wants the gospel and keep looking and keep searching. Now, there's a rule in business and in my discipline of communication studies that I study in college that's it's the ABC rule. Um, in negotiation, and working out a deal with someone, and it's, it's called the ABC rule. It's very simple. Always be closing. You're always looking for that opportunity to seal the deal, to make it clear what needs to happen. And so right now, I think that it's important that we adopt that into our own mind, that we're always looking to close. We're always looking for an opportunity to get that across to someone to explain the will of God to them. Further than that, I'd like to practice what I preach now. 
I preached a whole big sermon just now about how we need to tell people that they need to be saved, how we need to go out, and how we need to be evangelistic. And, and, and right now, I'm saying to everyone that's here, I'm, this is the time now. It's, it's time to be baptized. There's no waiting. There's no excuses. There's no hang-ups. There's no questions that we cannot possibly answer from the Bible. I'm more than willing to do that. I'm more than willing to help you understand those things so that you can become a member of the body of Christ. And then once you've done that, we can work together arm in arm as soldiers and continue building up in number and in spiritual aspect the body of Christ in quality and quantity. But if you're not playing, we can't be on the same team. You've got to step up, you gotta step up and you've got to join the team. So to do that, for those audience members now that are not in Christ... This is my attempt at evangelism to you. If you have not obeyed the gospel, we stand ready to assist you in any way that we can. Why don't you just come forward now? I'll be right over here as soon as I pick my papers up off the floor, and then we'll assist you as we stand and as we sing.